Question 88 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, On Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, On Man, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 88. How the human soul knows what is above itself. In three articles. We must now consider how the human soul knows what is above itself, videlicet, immaterial substances. Under this head, there are three points of inquiry. One whether the human soul in the present state of life can understand the immaterial substances called angels in themselves. 2. Whether it can arrive at the knowledge thereof by the knowledge of material things. 3. Whether God is the first object of our knowledge. First Article, Part 1, Question 88, Article 1 whether the human soul in the present state of life can understand immaterial substances in themselves. Objection 1. It would seem that the human soul in the present state of life can understand immaterial substances in themselves. For Augustine, on the Trinity 9.3, says, quote, As the mind itself acquires the knowledge of corporeal things by means of the corporeal senses, so it gains from itself the knowledge of incorporeal things. End quote. But these are the immaterial substances. Therefore, the human mind understands immaterial substances. Objection 2. Further, like is known by like, but the human mind is more akin to immaterial than to material things, since its own nature is immaterial as is clear from what we have said above. Question 76, Article 1. Since then our mind understands material things, much more is it able to understand immaterial things. Objection 3. Further, the fact that objects which are in themselves most sensible are not most felt by us comes from sense being corrupted by their very excellence. But the intellect is not subject to such a corrupting influence from its object as is stated on the soul 3, 4. Therefore, things which are in themselves in the highest degree of intelligibility are likewise to us most intelligible. As material things, however, are intelligible only so far as we make them actually so by abstracting them from material conditions, it is clear that those substances are more intelligible in themselves whose nature is immaterial. Therefore, they are much more known to us than are material things. Objection 4. Further, the commentator says, Metaphysics 2, that, quote, nature would be frustrated in its end, end quote, were we unable to understand abstract substances, quote, because it would have made what in itself is naturally intelligible not to be understood at all. End quote. 
but in nature nothing is idle or purposeless. Therefore immaterial substances can be understood by us. Objection 5. Further, as sense is to the sensible, so is intellect to the intelligible. But our sight can see all things corporeal, whether superior and incorruptible, or lower and corruptible. Therefore our intellect can understand all intelligible substances, even the superior and immaterial. On the contrary, it is written, Wisdom 9.16, The things that are in heaven, who shall search out? End quote. But these substances are said to be in heaven, according to Matthew 18.10, their angels in heaven, end quote, etc. Therefore, immaterial substances cannot be known by human investigation. I answer that, in the opinion of Plato, immaterial substances are not only understood by us, but are the objects we understand first of all. For Plato taught that immaterial subsisting forms, which he called, quote, ideas, end quote, are the proper objects of our intellect and thus first and per se understood by us. And further, that material objects are known by the soul inasmuch as fantasy and sense are mixed up with the mind. Hence the purer the intellect is, so much the more clearly does it perceive the intelligible truth of immaterial things. But in Aristotle's opinion, which experience corroborates, our intellect in its present state of life has a natural relationship to the natures of material things, and therefore it can only understand by turning to the phantasms, as we have said above, question 84, article 7. Thus it clearly appears that immaterial substances which do not fall under sense and imagination cannot first and per se be known by us according to the mode of knowledge which experience proves us to have. Nevertheless, Averroes, Commentary on On the Soul, 3, teaches that in this present life man can in the end arrive at the knowledge of separate substances by being coupled or united to some separate substance, which he calls the, quote, active intellect, end quote, and which, being a separate substance itself, can naturally understand separate substances. Hence, when it is perfectly united to us, so that by its means we are able to understand perfectly, we also shall be able to understand separate substances, as in the present life, through the medium of the passive intellect united to us, we can understand material things. Now he said that the active intellect is united to us thus. For since we understand by means of both the active intellect and intelligible objects, as, for instance, we understand conclusions by principles understood, it is clear that the active intellect must be compared to the objects understood, either as the principal agent is to the instrument, or as form to matter. For an action is ascribed to two principles in one of these two ways, to a principal agent and to an instrument, as cutting to the workman and the saw, to a form and its subject, as heating to heat and fire. 
in both these ways the active intellect can be compared to the intelligible object as perfection is to the perfectible and as act is to potentiality now a subject is made perfect and receives its perfection at one at the same time as the reception of what is actually visible synchronizes with the reception of light in the eye therefore the passive intellect receives the intelligible object and the active intellect together and the more numerous the intelligible objects received so much the nearer do we come to the point of perfect union between ourselves and the active intellect so much so that when we understand all the intelligible objects the active intellect becomes one with us and by its instrumentality we can understand all things material and immaterial in this he makes the ultimate happiness of man to consist nor as regards the present inquiry does it matter whether the passive intellect in that state of happiness understands separate substances by the instrumentality of the active intellect as he himself maintains or whether as he says alexander holds the passive intellect can never understand separate substances because according to him it is corruptible but man understands separate substances by means of the active intellect this opinion however is untrue first because supposing the active intellect to be a separate substance we could not formally understand by its instrumentality for the medium of an agent's formal action consists in its form and act since every agent acts according to its actuality as was said of the passive intellect question seventy article one secondly this opinion is untrue because in the above explanation the active intellect supposing it to be a separate substance would not be joined to us in its substance but only in its light as participated in things understood and would not extend to the other acts of the active intellect so as to enable us to understand immaterial substances just as when we see colors set off by the sun we are not united to the substance of the sun so as to act like the sun but its light only is united to us that we may see the colors thirdly this opinion is untrue because granted that as above explained the active intellect were united to us in substance still it is not said that it is wholly so united in regard to one intelligible object or two but rather in regard to all intelligible objects but all such objects together do not equal the force of the active intellect as it is a much greater thing to understand separate substances than to understand all material things hence it clearly follows that the knowledge of all material things would not make the active intellect to be so united to us as to enable us by its instrumentality to understand separate substances fourthly this opinion is untrue because it is hardly possible for anyone in this world to understand all material things and thus no one or very few could reach to perfect felicity which is against what the philosopher says ethics one nine that happiness is a quote, kind of common good communicable to all capable of virtue end quote. further it is unreasonable that only the few of any species 
attain to the end of the species. Fifthly, the philosopher expressly says, Ethics 1, 10, that happiness is, quote, an operation according to perfect virtue, end quote. And after enumerating many virtues in the tenth book, he concludes, Ethics 1, 7, that ultimate happiness consisting in the knowledge of the highest things intelligible is attained through the virtue of wisdom, which in the sixth chapter he had named as the chief of speculative sciences. Hence Aristotle clearly places the ultimate felicity of man in the knowledge of separate substances, obtainable by speculative science, and not by being united to the active intellect as some imagined. Sixthly, as was shown above, question 79, article 4, the active intellect is not a separate substance, but a faculty of the soul, extending itself actively to the same objects to which the passive intellect extends receptively. Because, as is stated, on the soul 3, 5, the passive intellect is, quote, all things potentially, end quote, and the active intellect is, quote, all things in act. End quote. Therefore, both intellects, according to the present state of life, extend to material things only, which are made actually intelligible by the active intellect and are received in the passive intellect. Hence, in the present state of life, we cannot understand separate immaterial substances in themselves, either by the passive or by the active intellect. Reply Objection 1 Augustine may be taken to mean that the knowledge of incorporeal things in the mind can be gained by the mind itself. This is so true that philosophers also say that the knowledge concerning the soul is a principle for the knowledge of separate substances. For by knowing itself it attains to some knowledge of incorporeal substances, such as is within its compass not that the knowledge of itself gives it a perfect and absolute knowledge of them. Reply Objection 2 The likeness of nature is not a sufficient cause of knowledge. Otherwise, what Empedocles said would be true, that the soul needs to have the nature of all in order to know all. But knowledge requires that the likeness of the thing known be in the knower as a kind of form thereof, now our passive intellect in the present state of life is such that it can be informed with similitudes abstracted from phantasms, and therefore it knows material things rather than immaterial substances. Reply Objection 3. There must needs be some proportion between the object and the faculty of knowledge, such as of the active to the passive and of perfection to the perfectible. Hence, that sensible objects of great power are not grasped by the senses is due not merely to the fact that they corrupt the organ, but also to their being improportionate to the sensitive power. And thus it is that immaterial substances are improportionate to our intellect in our present state of life, so that it cannot understand them. Reply Objection 4 this argument of the commentator fails in several ways. First, because if separate substances are not understood by us, it does not follow that they are not understood by any intellect, for they are understood by themselves and by one another. Secondly, 
to be understood by us is not the end of separate substances, while only that is vain and purposeless which fails to attain its end. It does not follow, therefore, that immaterial substances are purposeless, even if they are not understood by us at all. Reply Objection 5 Sense knows bodies, whether superior or inferior, in the same way, that is, by the sensible acting on the organ. But we do not understand material and immaterial substances in the same way. The former we understand by a process of abstraction, which is impossible in the case of the latter, for there are no phantasms of what is immaterial. Second Article Part 1, Question 88, Article 2 Whether our intellect can understand immaterial substances through its knowledge of material things. Objection 1 it would seem that our intellect can know immaterial substances through the knowledge of material things. For Dionysius says, on the heavenly hierarchy 1, that, quote, the human mind cannot be raised up to immaterial contemplation of the heavenly hierarchies unless it is led thereto by material guidance according to its own nature, end quote. Therefore we can be led by material things to know immaterial substances. Objection 2. Further, science resides in the intellect. But there are sciences and definitions of immaterial substances. For Damascene defines an angel on the orthodox faith 2.3. And we find angels treated of both in theology and philosophy. Therefore, immaterial substances can be understood by us. Objection 3. Further, the human soul belongs to the genus of immaterial substances, but it can be understood by us through its act by which it understands material things. Therefore also other material substances can be understood by us through their material effects. Objection 4. Further, the only cause which cannot be comprehended through its effects is that which is infinitely distant from them and this belongs to God alone. Therefore, other created immaterial substances can be understood by us through material things. On the contrary, Dionysius says, Divine Names 1, that, quote, intelligible things cannot be understood through sensible things, nor composite things through simple, nor incorporeal through corporeal, end quote. I answer that, Averroes says, on the soul 3, that a philosopher named Avempace taught that by the understanding of natural substances we can be led, according to true philosophical principles, to the knowledge of immaterial substances. For since the nature of our intellect is to abstract the quiddity of material things from matter, Anything material residing in that abstracted quiddity can again be made subject to abstraction. And as the process of abstraction cannot go on forever, it must arrive at length at some immaterial quiddity, absolutely without matter, and this would be the understanding of immaterial substance. Now this opinion would be true, 
were immaterial substances the forms and species of these material things, as the Platonists supposed. But supposing, on the contrary, that immaterial substances differ altogether from the quiddity of material things, it follows that however much our intellect abstract the quiddity of material things from matter, it could never arrive at anything akin to immaterial substance. Therefore we are not able perfectly to understand immaterial substances through material substances. Reply Objection 1 from material things we can rise to some kind of knowledge of immaterial things, but not to the perfect knowledge thereof, for there is no proper and adequate proportion between material and immaterial things, and the likeness is drawn from material things, for the understanding of immaterial things are very dissimilar therefrom, as Dionysius says, on the heavenly hierarchy too. Reply Objection 2 Science treats of higher things principally by way of negation. Thus Aristotle, on the heavens, 1.3, explains the heavenly bodies by denying to them inferior corporeal properties. Hence it follows that much less can immaterial substances be known by us in such a way as to make us know their quiddity. But we may have a scientific knowledge of them by way of negation, and by their relation to material things. Reply Objection 3 The human soul understands itself through its own act of understanding, which is proper to it, showing perfectly its power and nature. But the power and nature of immaterial substances cannot be perfectly known through such act, nor through any other material thing, because there is no proportion between the latter and the power of the former. Reply Objection 4 Created immaterial substances are not in the same natural genus as material substances, for they do not agree in power or in matter, but they belong to the same logical genus, because even immaterial substances are in the predicament of substance, as their essence is distinct from their existence. But God has no connection with material things as regards either natural genus or logical genus, because God is in no genus, as stated above. Question 3, Article 5. Hence, through the likeness derived from material things, we can know something positive concerning the angels according to some common notion, though not according to the specific nature whereas we cannot acquire any such knowledge at all about God. Third Article Part 1, Question 88, Article 3 Whether God is the first object known by the human mind? Objection 1 It would seem that God is the first object known by the human mind. For that object in which all others are known and by which we judge others, is the first thing known to us, as light is to the eye, and first principles to the intellect. But we know all things in the light of the first truth, and thereby judge of all things, as Augustine says, on the Trinity 12.2, on true religion 31. Therefore God is the first object known to us. Objection 2 
Further, whatever causes a thing to be such is more so. But God is the cause of all our knowledge, for he is, quote, the true light which enlighteneth every man that cometh into this world, end quote. John 1, 9. Therefore God is our first and most known object. Objection 3. Further, what is first known in the image is the exemplar to which it is made. But in our mind is the image of God, as Augustine says, on the Trinity 12, 4, and 7. Therefore, God is the first object known to our mind. On the contrary, quote, No man hath seen God at any time. End quote. John 1, 18. I answer that, since the human intellect in the present state of life cannot understand even immaterial created substances, Article 1, much less can it understand the essence of the uncreated substance. Hence, it must be said simply that God is not the first object of our knowledge. Rather do we know God through creatures, according to the Apostle, Romans 1, 20. Quote, the invisible things of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, end quote. While the first object of our knowledge in this life is the, quote, quiddity of a material thing, end quote which is the proper object of our intellect, as appears above in many passages. Question 84, Article 7. Question 85, Article 8. Question 87, Article 2, Reply 2. Reply Objection 1. We see and judge of all things in the light of the first truth, forasmuch as the light itself of our mind, whether natural or gratuitous, is nothing else than the impression of the first truth upon it, as stated above. Question 12, Article 2. Hence, as the light itself of our intellect is not the object it understands, much less can it be said that God is the first object known by our intellect. Reply Objection 2. The axiom, quote, whatever causes a thing to be such is more so, End quote, must be understood of things belonging to one and the same order, as explained above. Question 81, Article 2, Reply 3. Other things than God are known because of God, not as if He were the first known object, but because He is the first cause of our faculty of knowledge. Reply Objection 3. If there existed in our souls a perfect image of God, as the Son is the perfect image of the Father, our mind would know God at once. But the image in our mind is imperfect. Hence, the argument does not prove. End of question 88. Question 89 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima on Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Pars Prima on Man by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. 
Question 89 of the Knowledge of the Separated Soul in Eight Articles. We must now consider the knowledge of the separated soul. Under this head there are eight points of inquiry. 1. Whether the soul separated from the body can understand. 2. Whether it understands separate substances. 3. Whether it understands all natural things. 4. Whether it understands individuals and singulars. 5. Whether the habits of knowledge acquired in this life remain. 6. Whether the soul can use the habit of knowledge here acquired. 7. Whether local distance impedes the separated soul's knowledge. 8. Whether souls separated from the body know what happens here. First Article, Part 1, Question 89, Article 1. Whether the separated soul can understand anything. Objection 1. It would seem that the soul separated from the body can understand nothing at all. For the philosopher says, on the soul 1.4, that, quote, the understanding is corrupted together with its interior principle, end quote. But by death all human interior principles are corrupted. Therefore also the intellect itself is corrupted. Objection 2. Further, the human soul is hindered from understanding when the senses are tied and by a distracted imagination. As explained above, question 84, articles 7 and 8. But death destroys the senses and imagination as we have shown above. Question 77, Article 8. Therefore, after death, the soul understands nothing. Objection 3. Further, if the separated soul can understand, this must be by means of some species, but it does not understand by means of innate species, because it has none such, being at first, quote, like a tablet on which nothing is written, end quote nor does it understand by species abstracted from things, for it does not then possess organs of sense and imagination, which are necessary for the abstraction of species. Nor does it understand by means of species formerly abstracted and retained in the soul. For if that were so, a child's soul would have no means of understanding at all. Nor does it understand by means of intelligible species divinely infused, for such knowledge would not be natural, such as we treat of now, but the effect of grace. Therefore the soul apart from the body understands nothing. On the contrary, the philosopher says, on the soul 1, 1, quote, If the soul had no proper operation, it could not be separated from the body, end quote. But the soul is separated from the body. Therefore, it has a proper operation, and above all, that which consists in intelligence. Therefore, the soul can understand when it is apart from the body. I answer that. The difficulty in solving this question arises from the fact that the soul united to the body can understand only by turning to the phantasms, as experience shows. That this not proceed from the soul's very nature, but accidentally through its being bound up with the body, 
as the Platonists said, the difficulty would vanish, for in that case when the body was once removed, the soul would at once return to its own nature, and would understand intelligible things simply, without turning to the phantasms, as is exemplified in the case of other separate substances. In that case, however, the union of soul and body would not be for the soul's good, for evidently it would understand worse in the body than out of it, but for the good of the body, which would be unreasonable, since matter exists on account of the form, and not the form for the sake of matter. But if we admit that the nature of the soul requires it to understand by turning to the phantasms, it will seem, since death does not change its nature, that it can then naturally understand nothing, as the phantasms are wanting to which it may turn. To solve this difficulty, we must consider that, as nothing acts except so far as it is actual, the mode of action in every agent follows from its mode of existence. Now the soul has one mode of being when in the body, and another when apart from it, its nature remaining always the same. But this does not mean that its union with the body is an accidental thing, for, on the contrary, such union belongs to its very nature, just as the nature of a light object is not changed when it is in its proper place, which is natural to it, and outside its proper place, which is beside its nature. The soul, therefore, when united to the body, consistently with that mode of existence, has a mode of understanding by turning to corporeal phantasms, which are incorporeal organs. But when it is separated from the body, it has a mode of understanding by turning to simply intelligible objects, as is proper to other separate substances. Hence, it is as natural for the soul to understand by turning to the phantasms as it is for it to be joined to the body. But to be separated from the body is not in accordance with its nature, and likewise to understand without turning to the phantasms is not natural to it, and hence it is united to the body in order that it may have an existence and an operation suitable to its nature. But here again a difficulty arises, for since nature is always ordered to what is best, and since it is better to understand by turning to simply intelligible objects than by turning to the phantasms, God should have ordered the soul's nature so that the nobler way of understanding would have been natural to it, and it would not have needed the body for that purpose. In order to resolve this difficulty, we must consider that while it is true that it is nobler in itself to understand by turning to something higher than to understand by turning to phantasms, nevertheless such a mode of understanding was not so perfect as regards what was possible to the soul. This will appear if we consider that every intellectual substance possesses intellective power by the influence of the divine light, which is one and simple in its first principle and the farther off intellectual creatures are from the first principle, so much the more is the light divided and diversified, as is the case with lines radiating from the center of a circle. Hence it is that God by His one essence understands all things, while the superior intellectual substances understand by means of a number of species 
which nevertheless are fewer and more universal and bestow a deeper comprehension of things because of the efficaciousness of the intellectual power of such natures. Whereas the inferior intellectual natures possess a greater number of species which are less universal and bestow a lower degree of comprehension in proportion as they recede from the intellectual power of the higher natures. If, therefore, the inferior substances received species in the same degree of universality as the superior substances, since they are not so strong in understanding, the knowledge which they would derive through them would be imperfect and of a general and confused nature. We can see this to a certain extent in man, for those who are of weaker intellect fail to acquire perfect knowledge through the universal conceptions of those who have a better understanding, unless things are explained to them singly and in detail. Now it is clear that in the natural order human souls hold the lowest place among intellectual substances, but the perfection of the universe required various grades of being. If, therefore, God had willed souls to understand in the same way as separate substances, it would follow that human knowledge, so far from being perfect, would be confused and general. Therefore, to make it possible for human souls to possess perfect and proper knowledge, they were so made that their nature required them to be joined to bodies, and thus to receive the proper and adequate knowledge of sensible things from the sensible things themselves. Thus we see in the case of uneducated men that they have to be taught by sensible examples. It is clear, then, that it was for the soul's good that it was united to a body, and that it understands by turning to the phantasms. Nevertheless, it is possible for it to exist apart from the body, and also to understand in another way. Reply Objection 1. The philosopher's words, carefully examined, will show that he said this on the previous supposition, that understanding is a movement of body and soul as united, just as sensation is, for he had not as yet explained the difference between intellect and sense. We may also say that he is referring to the way of understanding by turning to phantasms. This is also the meaning of the second objection. Reply Objection 3. The separated soul does not understand by way of innate species, nor by species abstracted then, nor only by species retained, and this the objection proves. But the soul in that state understands by means of participated species arising from the influence of the divine light, shared by the soul as by other separate substances, though in a lesser degree. Hence, as soon as it ceases to act by turning to corporeal phantasms, the soul turns at once to the superior things. Nor is this way of knowledge unnatural, for God is the author of the influx of both of the light of grace and of the light of nature. Second Article Part 1 Question 89 Article 2 Whether the Separated Soul Understands Separate Substances Objection 1. It would seem that the separated soul does not understand separate substances, for the soul is more perfect when joined to the body than when existing apart from it, being an essential part of human nature. And every part of a whole 
is more perfect when it exists in that whole. But the soul in the body does not understand separate substances, as shown above, question 88, article 1. Therefore much less is it able to do so when apart from the body. Objection 2. Further, whatever is known is known either by its presence or by its species. But separate substances cannot be known to the soul by their presence, for God alone can enter into the soul, nor by means of species abstracted by the soul from an angel, for an angel is more simple than a soul. Therefore the separated soul cannot at all understand separate substances. Objection 3. Further, some philosophers said that the ultimate happiness of man consists in the knowledge of separate substances. If, therefore, the separated soul can understand separate substances, its happiness would be secured by its separation alone, which cannot be reasonably said. On the contrary, souls apart from the body know other separated souls, as we see in the case of the rich man in hell, who saw Lazarus and Abraham, Luke 16.23. Therefore, separated souls see the devils and the angels. I answer that. Augustine says, on the Trinity 9.3, Our mind acquires the knowledge of incorporeal things by itself, end quote. that is, by knowing itself. Question 88, Article 1, Reply 1. Therefore, from the knowledge which the separated soul has of itself, we can judge how it knows other separate things. Now it was said above, Article 1, that as long as it is united to the body, the soul understands by turning to phantasms, and therefore it does not understand itself, save through becoming actually intelligent, by means of ideas abstracted from phantasms for thus it understands itself through its own act, as shown above, question 87, article 1. When, however, it is separated from the body, it understands no longer by turning to phantasms, but by turning to simply intelligible objects. Hence, in that state, it understands itself through itself. Now, every separate substance, quote, understands what is above itself, and what is below itself, according to the mode of its substance. End quote. Book of Causes 8. For a thing is understood according as it is in the one who understands, while one thing is in another according to the nature of that in which it is. And the mode of existence of a separated soul is inferior to that of an angel, but it is the same as that of other separated souls. Therefore the soul, apart from the body, has perfect knowledge of other separated souls, but it has an imperfect and defective knowledge of the angels, so far as its natural knowledge is concerned. But the knowledge of glory is otherwise. Reply Objection 1 The separated soul is, indeed, less perfect considering its nature in which it communicates with the nature of the body. But it has a greater freedom of intelligence, since the weight and care of the body is a clog upon the clearness of its intelligence in the present life. 
Reply Objection 2. The separated soul understands the angels by means of divinely impressed ideas, which, however, fail to give perfect knowledge of them, forasmuch as the nature of the soul is inferior to that of an angel. Reply Objection 3. Man's ultimate happiness consists not in the knowledge of any separate substances, but in the knowledge of God, who is seen only by grace. The knowledge of other separate substances, if perfectly understood, gives great happiness, not final and ultimate happiness. But the separated soul does not understand them perfectly, as was shown above in this article. Third article. Part 1. Question 89. Article 3. Whether the separated soul knows all natural things. Objection 1. It would seem that the separated soul knows all natural things. For the types of all natural things exist in separate substances. Therefore, as separated souls know separate substances, they also know all natural things. Objection 2. Further, whoever understands the greater intelligible will be able much more to understand the lesser intelligible. But the separated soul understands immaterial substances, which are in the highest degree of intelligibility. Therefore, much more can it understand all natural things, which are in a lower degree of intelligibility. On the contrary, the devils have greater natural knowledge than the separated soul, yet they do not know all natural things, but have to learn many things by long experience, as Isidore says, on the supreme good, one. Therefore neither can the separated soul know all natural things. I answer that, as stated above, Article 1, the separated soul, like the angels, understands by means of species, received from the influence of the divine light. Nevertheless, as the soul by nature is inferior to an angel, to whom this kind of knowledge is natural, the soul apart from the body, through such species, does not receive perfect knowledge, but only a general and confused kind of knowledge. Separated souls, therefore, have the same relation through such species to imperfect and confused knowledge of natural things as the angels have to the perfect knowledge thereof. Now angels, through such species, know all natural things perfectly, because all that God has produced in the respective natures of natural things has been produced by Him in the angelic intelligence, as Augustine says, the literal meaning of Genesis 2.8. Hence it follows that separated souls know all natural things, not with a certain and proper knowledge, but in a general and confused manner. Reply Objection 1. Even an angel does not understand all natural things through his substance, but through certain species, as stated above. Question 87, Article 1. So it does not follow that the soul knows all natural things because it knows separate substances after a fashion. Reply Objection 2. As the soul separated from the body does not perfectly understand separate substances, so neither does it know all natural things perfectly, but it knows them confusedly, 
as above explained in this article. Reply Objection 3 Isidore speaks of the knowledge of the future, which neither angels nor demons, nor separated souls, know, except so far as future things pre-exist in their causes, or are known by divine revelation. But we are here treating of the knowledge of natural things. Reply Objection 4 Knowledge acquired here by study is proper and perfect. The knowledge of which we speak is confused. Hence, it does not follow that to study in order to learn is useless. Fourth Article Part 1, Question 89, Article 4 Whether the separated soul knows singulars? Objection 1 It would seem that the separated soul does not know singulars, for no cognitive power besides the intellect remains in the separated soul as is clear from what has been said above. Question 77, Article 8 But the intellect cannot know singulars, as we have shown. Question 86, Article 1 Therefore the separated soul cannot know singulars. Objection 2 Further, the knowledge of the singular is more determinate than knowledge of the universal. But the separated soul has no determinate knowledge of the species of natural things. Therefore, much less can it know singulars. Objection 3. Further, if it knew the singulars, yet not by sense, for the same reason it would know all singulars. But it does not know all singulars. Therefore, it knows none. On the contrary, the rich man in hell said, quote, I have five brethren, end quote. Luke 16, 28. I answer that. Separated souls know some singulars, but not all, not even all present singulars. To understand this, we must consider that there is a twofold way of knowing things, one by means of abstraction from phantasms, and in this way singulars cannot be directly known by the intellect, but only indirectly, as stated above. Question 86, Article 1. The other way of understanding is by the infusion of species by God, and in that way it is possible for the intellect to know singulars. For as God knows all things, universal and singular, by His essence, as the cause of universal and individual principles, question 14, article 2. So, likewise, separate substances can know singulars by species which are a kind of participated similitude of the divine essence. There is a difference, however, between angels and separated souls in the fact that through these species the angels have a perfect and proper knowledge of things whereas separated souls have only a confused knowledge. Hence the angels, by reason of their perfect intellect, through these species, know not only the specific natures of things, but also the singulars contained in those species. Whereas separated souls, by these species, know only those singulars to which they are determined by former knowledge in this life or by some affection, 
or by natural aptitude, or by the disposition of the divine order, because whatever is received into anything is conditioned according to the mode of the recipient. Reply Objection 1. The intellect does not know the singular by way of abstraction. Neither does the separated soul know it thus, but as explained above. Reply Objection 2. The knowledge of the separated soul is confined to those species or individuals to which the soul has some kind of determinate relation, as we have said. Reply Objection 3. The separated soul has not the same relation to all singulars, but one relation to some and another to others. Therefore, there is not the same reason why it should know all singulars. Fifth Article Part 1, Question 89, Article 5 Whether the habit of knowledge here acquired remains in the separated soul. Objection 1. It would seem that the habit of knowledge acquired in this life does not remain in the soul separated from the body. For the Apostle says, quote, Knowledge shall be destroyed. End quote. 1 Corinthians 13.8 Objection 2. Further, some in this world who are less good enjoy knowledge denied to others who are better. If, therefore, the habit of knowledge remained in the soul after death, it would follow that some who are less good would, even in the future life, excel some who are better, which seems unreasonable. Objection 3. Further, separated souls will possess knowledge by influence of the divine light. Supposing, therefore, that knowledge here acquired remained in the separated soul, it would follow that two forms of the same species would coexist in the same subject, which cannot be. Objection 4. Further, the philosopher says, categories 6, 4, and 5, that, quote, a habit is a quality hard to remove, yet sometimes knowledge is destroyed by sickness or the like, end quote. But in this life there is no change so thorough as death. Therefore it seems that the habit of knowledge is destroyed by death. On the contrary, Jerome says, Epistle 53 to Paulinus, quote, Let us learn on earth that kind of knowledge which will remain with us in heaven. End quote. I answer that. Some say that the habit of knowledge resides not in the intellect itself, but in the sensitive powers, namely the imaginative, cogitative, and memorative, and that the intelligible species are not kept in the passive intellect. If this were true, it would follow that when the body is destroyed by death, knowledge here acquired would also be entirely destroyed. But since knowledge resides in the intellect, which is, quote, the abode of species, end quote, as the philosopher says, on the soul 3, 4. The habit of knowledge here acquired must be partly in the aforesaid sensitive powers and partly in the intellect, 
This can be seen by considering the very actions from which knowledge arises. For, quote, habits are like the actions whereby they are acquired, end quote. Ethics 2, 1. Now the actions of the intellect, by which knowledge is here acquired, are performed by the mind turning to the phantasms in the aforesaid sensitive powers. Hence, through such acts the passive intellect acquires a certain facility in considering the species received, and the aforesaid sensitive powers acquire a certain aptitude in seconding the action of the intellect when it turns to them to consider the intelligible object. But as the intellectual act resides chiefly and formally in the intellect itself, whilst it resides materially and dispositively in the inferior powers, the same distinction is to be applied to habit. Knowledge, therefore, acquired in the present life does not remain in the separated soul as regards what belongs to the sensitive powers, but as regards what belongs to the intellect itself, it must remain, because, as the philosopher says, on longness and shortness of life, too. A form may be corrupted in two ways. First, directly, when corrupted by its contrary, as heat by cold. And secondly, indirectly, when its subject is corrupted. Now, it is evident that human knowledge is not corrupted through corruption of the subject, for the intellect is an incorruptible faculty, as above stated. Question 79 Article 2, Reply 2. Neither can the intelligible species in the passive intellect be corrupted by their contrary, for there is no contrary to intelligible, quote, intentions, end quote, above all as regards simple intelligence of, quote, what a thing is, end quote. But contrariety may exist in the intellect as regards mental composition and division, or also reasoning so far as what is false in statement or argument is contrary to truth. And thus knowledge may be corrupted by its contrary when a false argument seduces anyone from the knowledge of truth. For this reason the philosopher in the above work mentions two ways in which knowledge is corrupted directly, namely, quote, forgetfulness, end quote, on the part of the memorative power, and, quote, deception, end quote, on the part of a false argument. But these have no place in the separated soul. Therefore we must conclude that the habit of knowledge, so far as it is in the intellect, remains in the separated soul. Reply Objection 1. The Apostle is not speaking of knowledge as a habit, but as to the act of knowing. And hence he says, in proof of the assertion quoted, quote, Now I know in part. End quote. Reply Objection 2. As a less good man may exceed a better man in bodily stature, so the same kind of man may have a habit of knowledge in the future life which a better man may not have. Such knowledge, however, cannot be compared with the other prerogatives enjoyed by the better man. Reply Objection 3 These two kinds of knowledge are not of the same species, so there is no impossibility. Reply Objection 4 
This objection considers the corruption of knowledge on the part of the sensitive powers. Sixth Article Part 1, Question 89, Article 6 Whether the act of knowledge acquired here remains in the separated soul. Objection 1. It would seem that the act of knowledge here acquired does not remain in the separated soul. For the philosopher says, on the soul 1.4, that when the body is corrupted, quote, the soul neither remembers nor loves, end quote. But to consider what is previously known is an act of memory. Therefore the separated soul cannot retain an act of knowledge here acquired. Objection 2. Further, intelligible species cannot have greater power in the separated soul than they have in the soul united to the body. But in this life we cannot understand by intelligible species without turning to phantasms, as shown above. Question 84, Article 7. Therefore the separated soul cannot do so, and thus it cannot understand at all by intelligible species acquired in this life. Objection 3. Further, the philosopher says, Ethics 2, 1, that, quote, habits produce acts similar to those whereby they are acquired, end quote. But the habit of knowledge is acquired here by acts of the intellect turning to phantasms. Therefore, it cannot produce any other acts. These acts, however, are not adapted to the separated soul. Therefore, the soul in the state of separation cannot produce any act of knowledge acquired in this life. On the contrary, it was said to Dives in hell, Luke 16, 25, quote, Remember thou didst receive good things in thy lifetime, end quote. I answer that, action offers two things for our consideration, its species and its mode. Its species comes from the object whereto the faculty of knowledge is directed by the intelligible species, which is the object's similitude, whereas the mode is gathered from the power of the agent. Thus, that a person see a stone is due to the species of the stone in his eye, but that he see it clearly is due to the eye's visual power. Therefore, as the intelligible species remain in the separated soul, as stated above, Article 5, and since the state of the separated soul is not the same as it is in this life, it follows that through the intelligible species acquired in this life, the soul apart from the body can understand what it understood formerly, but in a different way, not by turning to phantasms, but by a mode suited to a soul existing apart from the body. Thus the act of knowledge here acquired remains in the separated soul, but in a different way. Reply Objection 1 The philosopher speaks of remembrance according as memory belongs to the sensitive part, but not as belonging in a way to the intellect, as explained above. Question 79 Article 6. Reply Objection 2. The different mode of intelligence 
is produced by the different state of the intelligent soul, not by diversity of species. Reply Objection 3 The acts which produce a habit are like the acts caused by that habit in species, but not in mode. For example, to do just things, but not justly, that is, pleasurably, causes the habit of political justice, whereby we act pleasurably. Compare Aristotle, Ethics 5.8, Magna Moralia, 1.34. Seventh Article, Part 1, Question 89, Article 7. Whether local distance impedes the knowledge in the separated soul. Objection 1. It would seem that local distance impedes the separated soul's knowledge. For Augustine says, On the care to be had for the dead, 13, that, quote, The souls of the dead are where they cannot know what is done here, end quote. But they know what is done among themselves. Therefore, local distance impedes the knowledge in the separated soul. Objection 2. Further, Augustine says, The Divination of Demons, 3, that, quote, The demons' rapidity of movement enables them to tell things unknown to us, end quote. But agility of movement would be useless in that respect unless their knowledge was impeded by local distance, which, therefore, is a much greater hindrance to the knowledge of the separated soul whose nature is inferior to the demons. Objection 3. Further, as there is distance of place, so is there distance of time. But distance of time impedes knowledge in the separated soul, for the soul is ignorant of the future. Therefore, it seems that distance of place also impedes its knowledge. On the contrary, it is written, Luke 16.23, that Dives, quote, lifting up his eyes when he was in torment, saw Abraham afar off, end quote. Therefore, local distance does not impede knowledge in the separated soul. I answer that. Some have held that the separated soul knows the singular by abstraction from the sensible. If that were so, it might be that local distance would impede its knowledge for either the sensible would need to act upon the soul, or the soul upon the sensible, and in either case a determinate distance would be necessary. This is, however, impossible, because abstraction of the species from the sensible is done through the senses and other sensible faculties which do not remain actually in the soul apart from the body. But the soul, when separated, understands singulars by species derived from the divine light, which is indifferent to what is near or distant. Hence, knowledge in the separated soul is not hindered by local distance. Reply Objection 1 Augustine says that the souls of the departed cannot see what is done here, not because they are, quote, there, end quote, as if impeded by local distance, but for some other cause, as we shall explain, Article 8. Reply Objection 2. 
Augustine speaks there in accordance with the opinion that demons have bodies naturally united to them, and so have sensitive powers, which require local distance. In the same book he expressly sets down this opinion, though apparently rather by way of narration than of assertion, as we may gather from The City of God, 21.10. Reply Objection 3. The future, which is distant in time, does not actually exist, and therefore is not knowable in itself. Because so far as a thing falls short of being, so far does it fall short of being knowable. But what is locally distant exists actually and is knowable in itself. Hence we cannot argue from distance of time to distance of place. Eighth Article Part 1 Question 89 Article 8 Whether Separated Souls Know What Takes Place on Earth Objection 1. It would seem that separated souls know what takes place on earth, for otherwise they would have no care for it, as they have, according to what Dives said, Luke 16, 27 and 28, quote, I have five brethren. He may testify unto them, lest they also come into the place of torments, end quote. Therefore, separated souls know what passes on earth. Objection 2. Further, the dead often appear to the living, asleep or awake, and tell them of what takes place there, as Samuel appeared to Saul, 1 Kings 28.11. But this could not be unless they knew what takes place here. Therefore, they know what takes place on earth. Objection 3. Further, Separated souls know what happens among themselves. If, therefore, they do not know what takes place among us, it must be by reason of local distance, which has been shown to be false. Article 7. On the contrary, it is written, Job 14.21, He will not understand whether his children come to honor or dishonor. End quote. I answer that, by natural knowledge of which we are treating now, the souls of the dead do not know what passes on earth. This follows from what has been laid down, Article 4, since the separated soul has knowledge of singulars by being in a way determined to them, either by some vestige of previous knowledge or affection, or by the divine order. Now the souls departed are in a state of separation from the living, both by divine order and by their mode of existence, whilst they are joined to the world of incorporeal spiritual substances, and hence they are ignorant of what goes on among us. Whereof Gregory gives the reason thus, quote, The dead do not know how the living act, for the life of the spirit is far from the life of the flesh, and so, as corporeal things differ from incorporeal in genus, so they are distinct in knowledge. End quote. Morals on the Book of Job, 12. Augustine seems to say the same on the care to be had for the dead, 13, when he asserts that, quote, the souls of the dead have no concern in the affairs of the living, end quote. 
Gregory and Augustine, however, seem to be divided in opinion as regards the souls of the blessed in heaven, for Gregory continues the passage above quoted, quote, The case of the holy souls is different, for since they see the light of Almighty God, we cannot believe that external things are unknown to them. End quote. But Augustine, on the care to be had for the dead, 13, expressly says, quote, The dead, even the saints, do not know what is done by the living or by their own children. End quote. As a gloss quotes on the text, quote, Abraham hath not known us. End quote. Isaiah 63, 16. He confirms this opinion by saying that he was not visited nor consoled in sorrow by his mother, as when she was alive, and he could not think it possible that she was less kind when in a happier state, and again by the fact that the Lord promised to King Josias that he should die lest he should see his people's afflictions. 4 Kings 22.20 Yet Augustine says this in doubt, and premises, quote, Let everyone take as he pleases what I say. End quote. Gregory, on the other hand, is positive, since he says, quote, We cannot believe. End quote. His opinion, indeed, seems to be the more probable one, that the souls of the blessed who see God do know all that passes here, for they are equal to the angels, of whom Augustine says, that they know what happens among those living on earth. But as the souls of the blessed are most perfectly united to divine justice, they do not suffer from sorrow, nor do they interfere in mundane affairs, except in accordance with divine justice. Reply Objection 1 The souls of the departed may care for the living, even if ignorant of their state, just as we care for the dead by pouring forth prayer on their behalf, though we are ignorant of their state. Moreover, the affairs of the living can be made known to them, not immediately, but by the souls who pass hence thither, or by angels and demons, or even by, quote, the revelation of the Holy Ghost, end quote, as Augustine says in the same book. Reply Objection 2 that the dead appear to the living in any way whatever is either by the special dispensation of God in order that the souls of the dead may interfere in affairs of the living, and this is to be accounted as miraculous, or else such apparitions occur through the instrumentality of bad or good angels without the knowledge of the departed, as may likewise happen when the living appear without their own knowledge to others living as Augustine says in the same book. And so it may be said of Samuel that he appeared through divine revelation, according to Ecclesiasticus 46.23, he slept and told the king the end of his life. End quote. Or again, this apparition was procured by the demons, unless indeed the authority of Ecclesiasticus be set aside through not being received by the Jews as canonical scripture. Reply Objection 3 This kind of ignorance does not proceed from the obstacle of local distance, but from the cause mentioned above. End of Question 89
Question 90 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, on Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, on Man, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 90. Of the first production of man's soul, in four articles. After the foregoing, we must consider the first production of man, concerning which there are four subjects of treatment. 1. The production of man himself. 2. The end of this production. 3. The state and condition of the first man. 4. The place of his abode. Concerning the production of man, there are three things to be considered. 1. The production of man's soul. 2. The production of man's body. 3. The production of the woman. Under the first head, there are four points of inquiry. 1. Whether man's soul was something made, or was of the divine substance. 2. Whether if made, it was created. 3. Whether it was made by angelic instrumentality. 4. Whether it was made before the body. First article, part 1, question 90, article 1. Whether the soul was made or was of God's substance. Objection 1. It would seem that the soul was not made, but was God's substance. For it is written, Genesis 2, verse 7. God formed man of the slime of the earth, and breathed into his face the breath of life, and man was made a living soul. But he who breathes sends forth something of himself. Therefore the soul, whereby man lives, is of the divine substance. Objection to. Further, as above explained, question 75, article 5, the soul is a simple form, but a form is an act, Therefore the soul is a pure act, which applies to God alone. Therefore the soul is of God's substance. Objection 3. Further, things that exist and do not differ are the same. But God and the mind exist, and in no way differ, for they could only be differentiated by certain differences, and thus would be composite. Therefore God and the human mind are the same. On the contrary, Augustine, on the origin of the soul, 3, 15, mentions certain opinions which he calls exceedingly and evidently perverse and contrary to the Catholic faith, among which the first is the opinion that God made the soul not out of nothing but from himself. I answer that, to say that the soul is of the divine substance involves a manifest improbability, for, as is clear from what has been said, question 77, article 2, Question 79, Article 2. Question 84, Article 6. The human soul is sometimes in a state of potentiality to the act of intelligence, acquires its knowledge somehow from things, and thus has various powers, all of which are incompatible with the divine nature, which is a pure act, receives nothing from any other, and admits of no variety in itself, as we have proven. Question 3, Articles 1 and 7. Question 9, Article 1. This error seems to have originated from two statements of the ancients. For those who first began to observe the nature of things, 
being unable to rise above their imagination, supposed that nothing but bodies existed. Therefore they said that God was a body, which they considered to be the principle of other bodies. And since they held that the soul was of the same nature as that body, which they regarded as the first principle, as stated, on the soul one, two, it followed that the soul was of the nature of God himself. According to this supposition also, the Manichaeans, thinking that God was corporeal light, held that the soul was part of that light, bound up with the body. Then a further step in advance was made, and some surmised the existence of something incorporeal, not apart from the body, but the form of a body. So that Varro said, God is a soul governing the world by movement and reason. As Augustine relates, on the city of God 7, 6. Note, the words as quoted are to be found in 6, 31. So some suppose man's soul to be part of that one soul, as man is a part of the whole world, for they were unable to go so far as to understand the different degrees of spiritual substance, except according to the distinction of bodies. But all these theories are impossible, as proved above. Question 3, Articles 1 and 8, and Question 75, Article 1. Therefore it is evidently false that the soul is the substance of God. Reply Objection 1. The term breathe is not to be taken in the material sense, but as regards the act of God, to breathe, spirate, is the same as to make a spirit. Moreover, in the material sense, man by breathing does not send forth anything of his own substance, but an extraneous thing. Reply Objection 2. Although the soul is a simple form in its essence, yet it is not its own existence but is a being by participation, as above explained. Question 75, Article 5, Odd 4. Therefore, it is not a pure act like God. Reply Objection 3. That which differs, properly speaking, differs in something. Wherefore, we seek for difference where we find also resemblance. For this reason, things which differ must in some way be compound, since they differ in something, and in something resemble each other. In this sense, although all that differ are diverse, yet all things that are diverse do not differ. For simple things are diverse, yet do not differ from one another by differences which enter into their composition. For instance, a man and a horse differ by the difference of rational and irrational, but we cannot say that these again differ by some further difference. Second article, Part 1, Question 90, Article 2. Whether the soul was produced by creation? Objection 1. It would seem that the soul was not produced by creation, for that which has in itself something material is produced from matter. But the soul is in part material, since it is not a pure act. Therefore the soul was made of matter, and hence it was not created. Objection 2. Further, every actuality of matter is educed from the potentiality of that matter, for since matter is in potentiality to act, any act pre-exists in matter potentially. But the soul is the act of corporeal matter, as is clear from its definition. Therefore the soul is educed from the potentiality of matter. Objection 3. Further, the soul is a form. Therefore, if the soul is created, all other forms also are created. 
thus no forms would come into existence by generation, which is not true. On the contrary, it is written, Genesis 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image, but man is like to God in his soul, therefore the soul was created. I answer that, the rational soul can be made only by creation, which, however, is not true of other forms. The reason is because, since to be made is the way to existence, a thing must be made in such a way as is suitable to its mode of existence. Now that properly exists which itself has existence, as it were, subsisting in its own existence. Wherefore, only substances are properly and truly called beings whereas an accident has not existence, but something is modified by it, and so far it is called a being. For instance, whiteness is called a being, because by it something is white. Hence it is said, Metaphysics 7, Didascalis 6, 1, that an accident should be described as of something rather than as something. The same is to be said of all non-subsistent forms, Therefore, properly speaking, it does not belong to any non-existing form to be made, but such are said to be made through the composite substances being made. On the other hand, the rational soul is a subsistent form, as above explained. Question 75, Article 2. Wherefore it is competent to be and to be made, and since it cannot be made of pre-existing matter, whether corporeal, which would render it a corporeal being or spiritual, which would involve the transmutation of one spiritual substance into another, we must conclude that it cannot exist except by creation. Reply Objection 1. The soul's simple essence is as the material element, while its participated existence is its formal element, which participated existence necessarily coexists with the soul's essence, because existence naturally follows the form. The same reason holds if the soul is supposed to be composed of some spiritual matter as some maintain, because the said matter is not in potentiality to another form, as neither is the matter of a celestial body, otherwise the soul would be corruptible. Wherefore the soul cannot in any way be made of pre-existent matter. Reply Objection 2 the production of act from the potentiality of matter is nothing else but something becoming actually that previously was in potentiality. But since the rational soul does not depend in its existence on corporeal matter and is subsistent and exceeds the capacity of corporeal matter as we have seen, question 75, article 2, it is not educed from the potentiality of matter. Reply objection 3. As we have said, there is no comparison between the rational soul and other forms. Third article, part one, question 90, article three. Whether the rational soul is produced by God immediately? Objection one. It would seem that the rational soul is not immediately made by God, but by the instrumentality of the angels. For spiritual things have more order than corporeal things but inferior bodies are produced by means of the superior, as Dionysius says. Divine names, four. Therefore also the inferior spirits, who are the rational souls, are produced by means of the superior spirits, the angels. Objection to. Further, the end corresponds to the beginning of things. 
for God is the beginning and end of all. Therefore, the issue of things from their beginning corresponds to the forwarding of them to their end. But inferior things are forwarded by the higher. As Dionysius says, Ecclesiastical Hierarchy, 5. Therefore the inferior are produced into existence by the higher, and souls by angels. Objection 3. Further, perfect is that which can produce its like, as is stated, Metaphysics 5. But spiritual substances are much more perfect than corporeal. Therefore, since bodies produce their like in their own species, much more are angels able to produce something specifically inferior to themselves, and such is the rational soul. On the contrary, it is written, Genesis 2, verse 7, that God himself breathed into the face of man the breath of life. I answer that. Some have held that angels, acting by the power of God, produce rational souls. But this is quite impossible and is against faith. For it has been proved that the rational soul cannot be produced except by creation. Now God alone can create. For the first agent alone can act without presupposing the existence of anything, while the second cause always presupposes something derived from the first cause, as above explained, question 75, article 3. And every agent that presupposes something to its act, acts by making a change therein. Therefore everything else acts by producing a change, whereas God alone acts by creation. Since, therefore, the rational soul cannot be produced by a change in matter, it cannot be produced, save immediately by God. Thus the replies to the objections are clear, for that bodies produce their like and something inferior to themselves, and that the higher things lead forward the inferior. All these things are effected through a certain transmutation. Article 4, Part 1, Question 90, Article 4 whether the human soul was produced before the body. Objection 1. It would seem that the human soul was made before the body, for the work of creation preceded the work of distinction and adornment, as shown above. Question 66, Article 1. Question 70, Article 1. But the soul was made by creation, whereas the body was made at the end of the work of adornment. Therefore, the soul of man was made before the body. Objection 2. Further, the rational soul has more in common with the angels than with the brute animals. But angels were created before bodies, or at least, at the beginning with corporeal matter. Whereas the body of man was formed on the sixth day, when also the animals were made. Therefore the soul of man was created before the body. Objection 3. Further, the end is proportionate to the beginning, but the end of the soul outlasts the body. Therefore, in the beginning, it was created before the body. On the contrary, the proper act is produced in its proper potentiality. Therefore, since the soul is the proper act of the body, the soul was produced in the body. I answer that. Origin, on the principles 1, 7, and 8 held that not only the soul of the first man, but also the souls of all men were created at the same time as the angels, before their bodies, because he thought that all spiritual substances, whether souls or angels, are equal in their natural condition, and differ only by merit, so that some of them, namely the souls of men or of heavenly bodies, 
are united to bodies while others remain in their different orders entirely free from matter. Of this opinion we have already spoken. Question 47, Article 2, and so we need say nothing about it here. Augustine, however, the literal meaning of Genesis 7:24, says that the soul of the first man was created at the same time as the angels, before the body, for another reason. Because he supposes that the body of man, during the work of the six days, was produced, not actually, but only as to some causal virtues, which cannot be said of the soul, because neither was it made by any pre-existing corporeal or spiritual matter, nor could it be produced from any created virtue. Therefore it seems that the soul itself, during the work of the six days, when all things were made, was created, together with the angels, and that afterwards, by its own will, was joined to the service of the body. But he does not say this by way of assertion, as his words prove. For he says, the literal meaning of Genesis 7.29. We may believe, if neither scripture nor reason forbid, that man was made on the sixth day, in the sense that his body was created as its causal virtue in the elements of the world, but that the soul was already created. Now this could be upheld by those who hold that the soul has of itself a complete species and nature, and that it is not united to the body as its form, but as its administrator. But if the soul is united to the body as its form, and is naturally a part of human nature, the above supposition is quite impossible. For it is clear that God made the first things in their perfect natural state, as their species required. Now the soul, as a part of human nature, has its natural perfection only as united to the body. Therefore it would have been unfitting for the soul to be created without the body. Therefore, if we admit the opinion of Augustine about the work of the six days, question 74, article 2, we may say that the human soul preceded in the work of the six days by a certain generic solemnitude, so far as it has intellectual nature in common with the angels, but was itself created at the same time as the body. According to the other saints, both the body and soul of the first man were produced in the work of the six days. Reply Objection 1. If the soul by its nature were a complete species, so that it might be created as to itself, this reason would prove that the soul was created by itself in the beginning. But as the soul is naturally the form of the body, it was necessarily created, not separately, but in the body. Reply Objection 2. The same observation applies to the second objection. For if the soul had a species of itself, it would have something still more in common with the angels. But as the form of the body, it belongs to the animal genus, as a formal principle. Reply Objection 3. That the soul remains after the body is due to a defect of the body, namely death. Which defect was not due when the soul was first created? End of Question 90. Question 91 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, On Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Taylor. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, On Man, by St. Thomas Aquinas. 
Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 91. The Production of the First Man's Body in Four Articles. We have now to consider the production of the first man's body. Under this head, there are four points of inquiry. 1. The matter from which it was produced. 2. The author by whom it was produced. 3. The disposition it received in its production. 4. The mode and order of its production. First Article, Part 1, Question 91, Article 1 whether the body of the first man was made of the slime of the earth. Objection 1. It would seem that the body of the first man was not made of the slime of the earth, for it is an act of greater power to make something out of nothing than out of something, because not being is farther off from actual existence than being in potentiality. But since man is the most honorable of God's lower creatures, it was fitting that in the production of man's body, the power of God should be most clearly shown. Therefore, it should not have been made of the slime of the earth, but out of nothing. Objection 2. Further, the heavenly bodies are nobler than earthly bodies. But the human body has the greatest nobility, since it is perfected by the noblest form, which is the rational soul. Therefore, it should not be made of an earthly body, but of a heavenly body. Objection 3. Further, Fire and air are nobler than earth and water, as is clear from their subtlety. Therefore, since the human body is most noble, it should rather have been made of fire and air than of the slime of the earth. Objection 4. Further, the human body is composed of the four elements. Therefore, it was not made of the slime of the earth, but of the four elements. On the contrary, it is written, Genesis 2, 7, God made man of the slime of the earth. I answer that, as God is perfect in his works, he bestowed perfection on all of them according to their capacity. God's works are perfect. Deuteronomy 32.4 He himself is simply perfect by the fact that all things are pre-contained in him, not as component parts, but as united in one simple whole, as Dionysius says, Divine Names 5 in the same way as various effects pre-exist in their cause according to its one virtue. This perfection is bestowed on the angels inasmuch as all things which are produced by God in nature through various forms come under their knowledge. But on man this perfection is bestowed in an inferior way, for he does not possess a natural knowledge of all natural things, but is in a manner composed of all things, since he has in it himself a rational soul of the genus of spiritual substances, and in likeness to the heavenly bodies, he is removed from contraries by an equable temperament. As to the elements, he has them in their very substance, yet in such a way that the higher elements, fire and air, predominate in him by their power. For life is mostly found where there is heat, which is from fire, and where there is humor, which is of the air but the inferior elements abound in man by their substance. Otherwise, the mingling of elements would not be evenly balanced, unless the inferior elements, which have the less power, predominated in quantity. Therefore, the body of man is said to have been formed from the slime of the earth, because earth and water mingled are called slime, and for this reason man is called a little world, 
because all creatures of the world are in a way to be found in him. Reply to Objection 1. The power of the divine creator was manifested in man's body when its matter was produced by creation. But it was fitting that the human body should be made of the four elements, that man might have something in common with the inferior bodies, as being something between spiritual and corporeal substances. Reply to Objection 2. Although the heavenly body is in itself nobler than the earthly body, yet for the acts of the rational soul the heavenly body is less adapted. For the rational soul receives the knowledge of truth in a certain way through the senses, the organs of which cannot be formed of a heavenly body which is impassable. Nor is it true that something of the fifth essence enters materially into the composition of the human body, as some say, who suppose that the soul is united to the body by means of light. For, first of all, what they say is false, that light is a body. Secondly, it is impossible for something to be taken from the fifth essence, or from a heavenly body, and to be mingled with the elements, since a heavenly body is impassable. Wherefore it does not enter into the composition of mixed bodies, except as in the effects of its power. Reply to Objection 3. If fire and air, whose action is of greater power, predominated also in quantity in the human body, they would entirely draw the rest into themselves, and there would be no equality in the mingling, such as is required in the composition of man, for the sense of touch, which is the foundation of the other senses. For the organ of any particular sense must not actually have the contraries of which that sense has the perception, but only potentially, either in such a way that it is entirely void of the whole genus of such contraries, thus, for instance, the pupil of the eye is without color, so as to be in potentiality as regards all colors, which is not possible in the organ of touch, since it is composed of the very elements, the qualities of which are perceived by that sense, or so that the organ is a medium between two contraries, as much needs be the case with regard to touch, for the medium is in potentiality to the extremes. Reply to Objection 4. In the slime of the earth are earth and water binding the earth together. Of the other elements, Scripture makes no mention, because they are less in quantity in the human body, as we have said, and because also in the account of the creation no mention is made of fire and air, which are not perceived by senses of uncultured men such as those to whom the Scripture was immediately addressed. Second Article, Part 1, Question 91, Article 2 whether the human body was immediately produced by God. Objection 1. It would seem that the human body was not produced by God immediately, for Augustine says, on the Trinity, 3, 4, that corporeal things are disposed by God through the angels. But the human body was made of corporeal matter, as stated above, Article 1. Therefore it was produced by the instrumentality of the angels, and not immediately by God. Objection 2. Further, whatever can be made by a created power is not necessarily produced immediately by God, but the human body can be produced by the created power of a heavenly body, for even certain animals are produced from putrefaction by the active power of a heavenly body. And Albumazar says that man is not generated where heat and cold are extreme, but only in temperate regions. 
Therefore, the human body was not necessarily produced immediately by God. Objection 3. Further, nothing is made of corporeal matter except by some material change. But all corporeal change is caused by a movement of a heavenly body, which is the first movement. Therefore, since the human body was produced from corporeal matter, it seems that a heavenly body had part in its production. Objection 4. Further, Augustine says, the literal meaning of Genesis 7.24, that man's body was made during the work of the six days, according to the causal virtues which God inserted in corporeal creatures, and that afterwards it was actually produced. But what pre-exists in the corporeal creature by reason of causal virtues can be produced by some corporeal body. Therefore, the human body was produced by some created power, and not immediately by God. On the contrary, it is written, Sirach 17.1, God created man out of the earth. I answer that the first formation of the human body could not be by the instrumentality of any created power, but was immediately from God. Some, indeed, supposed that the forms which are in corporeal matter are derived from some immaterial forms. But the philosopher refutes this opinion, Metaphysics 7, for the reason that forms cannot be made in themselves but only in the composite, as we have explained, Question 65, Article 4. And because the agent must be like its effect, it is not fitting that a pure form, not existing in matter, should produce a form which is in matter, and which form is only made by the fact that the composite is made. So a form which is in matter can only be the cause of another form that is in matter, according as composite is made by composite. Now God, though he is absolutely immaterial, can alone by his own power produce matter by creation. Wherefore he alone can produce a form in matter, without the aid of any preceding material form. For this reason the angels cannot transform a body except by making use of something in the nature of a seed, as Augustine says, on the Trinity 3.19. Therefore, as no pre-existing body has been formed whereby another body of the same species could be generated, the first human body was of necessity made immediately by God. Reply to Objection 1. Although the angels are the ministers of God, as regards what he does in bodies, yet God does something in bodies beyond the angels' power, as, for instance, raising the dead or giving sight to the blind. And by this power he formed the body of the first man from the slime of the earth. Nevertheless, the angels could act as ministers in the formation of the body of the first man, in the same way as they will do at the last resurrection by collecting the dust. Reply to Objection 2. Perfect animals, produced from seed, cannot be made by the sole power of a heavenly body, as Avicenna imagined, although the power of a heavenly body may assist by cooperation in the work of natural generation, as the philosopher says, Physics 2.26, man and the sun beget man from matter. For this reason, a place of moderate temperature is required for the production of man and other animals. But the power of heavenly bodies suffices for the production of some imperfect animals from properly disposed matter, for it is clear that more conditions are required to produce a perfect than an imperfect thing. Reply to Objection 3. 
The movement of the heavens causes natural changes, but not changes that surpass the order of nature and are caused by the divine power alone, as for the dead to be raised to life, or the blind to see, like to which also is the making of man from the slime of the earth. Reply to Objection 4. An effect may be said to pre-exist in the causal virtues of creatures in two ways, first both in active and in passive potentiality, so that not only can it be produced out of pre-existing matter, but also that some pre-existing creature can produce it. Secondly, in passive potentiality only, that is, that out of pre-existing matter it can be produced by God. In this sense, according to Augustine, the human body pre-existed in the previous work in their causal virtues. Third Article Part 1 Question 91 Article 3 Whether the body of man was given an apt disposition Objection 1 It would seem that the body of man was not given an apt disposition, for since man is the noblest of animals, his body ought to be the best disposed in what is proper to an animal, that is, in sense and movement. But some animals have sharper senses and quicker movement than man. Thus dogs have a keener smell, and birds a swifter flight. Therefore man's body was not aptly disposed. Objection 2. Further, perfect is what lacks nothing. But the human body lacks more than the body of other animals, for these are provided with covering and natural arms of defense in which man is lacking. Therefore, the human body is very imperfectly disposed. Objection 3. Further, man is more distant from plants than he is from the brutes. But plants are erect in stature, while brutes are prone in stature. Therefore, man should not be of erect stature. On the contrary, it is written, Ecclesiastes 7.30, God made man right. I answer that all natural things were produced by the divine art, and so may be called God's works of art. Now every artist intends to give his work the best disposition, not absolutely the best, but the best as regards the proposed end. And even if this entails some defect, the artist cares not. Thus, for instance, when man makes himself a saw for the purpose of cutting, he makes it of iron, which is suitable for the object in view, and he does not prefer to make it of glass, though this be a more beautiful material, because this very beauty would be an obstacle to the end he has in view. Therefore, God gave to each natural being the best disposition, not absolutely so, but in view of its proper end. This is what the philosopher says, Physics 2.7, and because it is better so, not absolutely, but for each one's substance. Now the proximate end of the human body is the rational soul and its operations. Since matter is for the sake of the form, and instruments are for the action of the agent. I say, therefore, that God fashioned the human body in that disposition which was best, as most suited to such a form and to such operations. If defect exists in the disposition of the human body, it is well to observe that such defect arises as a necessary result of the matter, from the conditions required in the body, in order to make it suitably proportioned to the soul and its operations. Reply to Objection 1. The sense of touch, which is the foundation of the other senses, 
is more perfect in man than in any other animal, and for this reason man must have the most equable temperament of all animals. Moreover, man excels all other animals in the interior sensitive powers, as is clear from what we have said above. Question 78, Article 4. But by a kind of necessity, man falls short of the other animals in some of the exterior senses. Thus, of all animals, he has the least sense of smell. For man needs the largest brain as compared to the body, both for his greater freedom of action in the interior powers required for the intellectual operations, as we have seen above, question 84, article 7, and in order that the low temperature of the brain may modify the heat of the heart, which has to be considerable in man for him to be able to stand erect. So that size of the brain, by reason of its humidity, is an impediment to the smell, which requires dryness. In the same way, we may suggest a reason why some animals have a keener sight, and a more accurate hearing than man, namely on account of a hindrance to his senses arising necessarily from the perfect equability of his temperament. The same reason suffices to explain why some animals are more rapid in movement than man, since this excellence of speed is inconsistent with the equability of the human temperament. Reply to Objection 2. Horns and claws, which are the weapons of some animals, and toughness of hide and quantity of hair or feathers, which are the clothing of animals, are signs of an abundance of the earthly element, which does not agree with the equability and softness of the human temperament. Therefore such things do not suit the nature of man. Instead of these, he has reason and hands by which he can make himself arms and clothes, and other necessities of life, of infinite variety. Wherefore the hand is called by Aristotle, on the soul, three, eight, the organ of organs. Moreover, this was more becoming to the rational nature, which is capable of conceiving an infinite number of things, so as to make for itself an infinite number of instruments. Reply to Objection 3. An upright stature was becoming to man for four reasons. First, because the senses are given to man not only for the purpose of procuring the necessaries of life, which they are bestowed on other animals, but also for the purpose of knowledge. Hence, whereas the other animals take delight in the objects of the senses only as ordered to food and sex, man alone takes pleasure in the beauty of sensible objects for its own sake. Therefore, as the senses are situated chiefly in the face, other animals have the face turned to the ground, as it were, for the purpose of seeking food and procuring a livelihood. Whereas man has his face erect, in order that by the senses, and chiefly by sight, which is more subtle and penetrates further into the differences of things, he may freely survey the sensible objects around him, both heavenly and earthly, so as to gather intelligible truth from all things. Secondly, for the greater freedom of the acts of the interior powers. The brain, wherein these actions are, in a way, performed, not being low down, but lifted up above other parts of the body. Thirdly, because if man's stature were prone to the ground, he would need to use his hands as forefeet, and thus their utility for other purposes would cease. Fourthly, because if man's stature were prone to the ground, and he used his hands as forefeet, he would be obliged to take hold of his food with his mouth. Thus he would have a protruding mouth, with thick and hard lips, and also a hard tongue, so as to keep it from being hurt by exterior things, 
as we see in other animals. Moreover, such an attitude would quite hinder speech, which is reason's proper operation. Nevertheless, though of erect stature, man is far above plants. For man's superior part, his head, is turned towards the superior part of the world, and his inferior part is turned towards the inferior world. And therefore he is perfectly disposed as to the general situation of his body. Plants have the superior part turned towards the lower world, since their roots correspond to the mouth, and their inferior part towards the upper world. But brute animals have a middle disposition, for the superior part of the animal is that by which it takes food, and the inferior part that by which it rids itself of the surplus. Fourth Article Part 1 Question 91 Article 4 Whether the production of the human body is fittingly described in Scripture? Objection 1 It would seem that the production of the human body is not fittingly described in Scripture. For as the human body was made by God, so also were the other works of the six days. But in the other works it is written, God said, Let it be made, and it was made. Therefore the same should have been said of man. Objection 2. Further, the human body was made by God immediately, as explained above. Article 2. Therefore it was not fittingly said, Let us make man. Objection 3. Further, the form of the human body is the soul itself, which is the breath of life. Therefore, having said, God made man of the slime of the earth, he should not have added, and he breathed into him the breath of life. Objection 4. Further, the soul, which is the breath of life, is in the whole body, and chiefly in the heart. Therefore, it was not fittingly said, he breathed into his face the breath of life. Objection 5. Further, the male and female sex belong to the body, while the image of God belongs to the soul. But the soul, according to Augustine, the literal meaning of Genesis 7.24, was made before the body. Therefore, having said, to his image he made them, he should not have added, male and female he created them. On the contrary is the authority of Scripture. Reply to Objection 1. As Augustine observes, the literal meaning of Genesis 6.12, man surpasses other things, not in the fact that God himself made man, as though he did not make other things, since it is written, Psalm 101.26, the work of thy hands is the heaven, and elsewhere, Psalm 94.5, his hands laid down the dry land, but in this that man is made to God's image. Yet in describing man's production, Scripture uses a special way of speaking, to show that other things were made for man's sake. For we are accustomed to do with more deliberation and care what we have chiefly in mind. Reply to Objection 2. We must not imagine that when God said, Let us make man, he spoke to the angels, as some were perverse enough to think. But by these words is signified the plurality of the divine person, whose image is more clearly expressed in man. Reply to Objection 3. Some have thought that man's body was formed first in priority of time, and that afterwards the soul was infused into the formed body. But it is inconsistent with the perfection of the production of things that God should have made either the body without the soul, or the soul without the body, 
since each is a part of human nature. This is especially unfitting as regards the body, for the body depends on the soul and not the soul on the body. To remove the difficulty, some have said that the words, God made man, must be understood of the production of the body with the soul, and that the subsequent words, and he breathed into his face the breath of life, should be understood of the Holy Ghost, as the Lord breathed on his apostles, saying, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, John twenty twenty two. But this explanation, as Augustine says, the city of God, 8.24, is excluded by the very words of Scripture. For we read farther on, and man was made a living soul, which words the apostle, 1 Corinthians 15.45, refers not to spiritual life, but to animal life. Therefore, by breath of life, we must understand the soul, so that the words, he breathed into his face the breath of life, are a sort of exposition of what goes before, for the soul is the form of the body. Reply to Objection 4. Since vital operations are more clearly seen in man's face, on account of the senses which are there expressed, therefore Scripture says that the breath of life was breathed into man's face. Reply to Objection 5. According to Augustine, the literal meaning of Genesis 4.34, the works of the six days were done all at one time. Wherefore, according to him, man's soul, which he holds to have been made with the angels, was not made before the sixth day. But on the sixth day, both the soul of the first man was made actually, and his body in its causal elements. But other doctors hold that on the sixth day, both body and soul of man were actually made. End of question 91 Recording by Adam Taylor, CatholicComposer.com Question 92 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, On Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Taylor. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, On Man, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 92. The Production of the Woman in Four Articles. We must next consider the production of the woman. Under this head, there are four points of inquiry. 1. Whether the woman should have been made in that first production of things. 2 whether the woman should have been made from man. 3. Whether of man's rib. 4. Whether the woman was made immediately by God. First Article. Section 1. Question 92. Article 1. Whether the woman should have been made in the first production of things. Objection 1. It would seem that the woman should not have been made in the first production of things. For the philosopher says... The generation of animals, two, three, that the female is a misbegotten male. But nothing misbegotten or defective should have been in the first production of things. Therefore, woman should not have been made at that first production. Objection 2. Further, subjection and limitation were a result of sin, for to the woman it was said after sin, Genesis 3.16, Thou shalt be under the man's power. 
and Gregory says that where there is no sin, there is no inequality. But woman is naturally of less strength and dignity than man, for the agent is always more honorable than the patient, as Augustine says, the literal meaning of Genesis, 12.16. Therefore, woman should not have been made in the first production of things before sin. Objection 3. Further, occasions of sin should be cut off. But God foresaw that the woman would be an occasion of sin to man. Therefore, he should not have made woman. On the contrary, it is written, Genesis 2.18, It is not good for man to be alone. Let us make him a helper like to himself. I answer that it was necessary for woman to be made, as the scripture says, as a helper to man, not indeed as a helpmate in other works, as some say, since man can be more efficiently helped by another man in other works, but as a helper in the work of generation. This can be made clear if we observe the mode of generation carried out in various living things. Some living things do not possess in themselves the power of generation, but are generated by some other specific agent, such as some plants and animals by the influence of the heavenly bodies, from some fitting matter and not from seed. Others possess the active and passive generative power together, as we see in plants which are generated from seed, for the noblest vital function in plants is generation. Wherefore we observe that in these the active power of generation invariably accompanies the passive power. Among perfect animals, the active power of generation belongs to the male sex, and the passive power to the female. And as among animals there is a vital operation nobler than generation, to which their life is principally directed, therefore the male sex is not found in continual union with the female in perfect animals but only at the time of coition, so that we may consider that by this means the male and female are one, as in plants they are always united, although in some cases one of them preponderates and in some the other. But man is yet further ordered to a still nobler vital action, and that is intellectual operation. Therefore, there was greater reason for the distinction of these two forces in man, so that the female should be produced separately from the male although they are carnally united for generation. Therefore, directly after the formation of woman, it was said, And they shall be two in one flesh. Genesis 2.24 Reply to Objection 1. As regards the individual nature, woman is defective and misbegotten, for the active force in the male seed tends to the production of a perfect likeness in the masculine sex, while the production of woman comes from defect in the active force, or from some material indisposition, or even from some external influence, such as that of a south wind, which is moist, as the philosopher observes, the generation of animals, 4, 2. On the other hand, as regards human nature in general, woman is not misbegotten, but is included in nature's intention as directed to the work of generation. Now the general intention of nature depends on God, who is the universal author of nature. Therefore, in producing nature, God formed not only the male, but also the female. Reply to Objection 2. Subjection is twofold. One is servile, by virtue of which a superior makes use of a subject for his own benefit, and this kind of subjection began after sin. 
There is another kind of subjection which is called economic or civil, whereby the superior makes use of his subjects for their own benefit and good, and this kind of subjection existed even before sin. For good order would have been wanting in the human family if some were not governed by others wiser than themselves. So by such a kind of subjection, woman is naturally subject to man, because in man the discretion of reason predominates. Nor is inequality among men excluded by the state of innocence, as we shall prove. Question 96, Article 3. Reply to Objection 3. If God had deprived the world of all those things which proved an occasion of sin, the universe would have been imperfect nor was it fitting for the common good to be destroyed in order that individual evil might be avoided, especially as God is so powerful that he can direct any evil to a good end. Second Article Section 1, Question 92, Article 2 Whether Woman Should Have Been Made From Man Objection 1 It would seem that woman should not have been made from man, for sex belongs both to man and animals, but in the other animals the female was not made from the male. Therefore neither should it have been so with man. Objection 2. Further, things of the same species are of the same matter, but male and female are of the same species. Therefore, as a man was made of the slime of the earth, so woman should have been made of the same, and not from man. Objection 3. Further, woman was made to be a helpmate to man in the work of generation, but close relationship makes a person unfit for that office. Hence, near relations are debarred from intermarriage, as is written, Leviticus 18.6. Therefore, woman should not have been made from man. On the contrary, it is written, Sirach 17.5, He created of him, that is, out of man, a helpmate like to himself, that is, woman. I answer that, when all things were first formed, it was more suitable for the woman to be made from man than for the female to be from the male in other animals. First, in order thus to give the first man a certain dignity consisting in this, that as God is the principle of the whole universe, so the first man, in likeness to God, was the principle of the whole human race. Wherefore Paul says that God made the whole human race from one, Acts 17.26. Secondly, that man might love woman all the more, and cleave to her more closely, knowing her to be fashioned from himself. Hence it is written, Genesis 2.23 and 24, She was taken out of man, wherefore a man shall leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife. This was most necessary as regards the human race, in which the male and female live together for life, which is not the case with other animals. Thirdly, because, as the philosopher says, Ethics 8.12, the human male and female are united, not only for generation, as with other animals, but also for the purpose of domestic life, in which each has his or her particular duty, and in which the man is the head of the woman. Wherefore, it was suitable for the woman to be made out of man, as out of her principle. Fourthly, there is a sacramental reason for this. For by this is signified that the church takes her origin from Christ. Wherefore, the apostle says, Ephesians 5.32, 
This is a great sacrament, but I speak in Christ and in the church. Reply to Objection 1 is clear from the foregoing. Reply to Objection 2. Matter is that from which something is made. Now created nature has a determinate principle, and since it is determined to one thing, it also has a determinate mode of proceeding. Wherefore, from determinate matter it produces something in a determinate species. On the other hand, the divine power, being infinite, can produce things of the same species out of any matter, such as a man from the slime of the earth, and a woman from out of man. Reply to Objection 3. A certain affinity arises from natural generation, and this is an impediment to matrimony. Woman, however, was not produced from man by natural generation, but by the divine power alone. Wherefore Eve is not called the daughter of Adam, and so this argument does not prove. Third Article. Section 1. Question 92. Article 3. Whether the woman was fittingly made from the rib of man. Objection 1. It would seem that the woman should not have been formed from the rib of man, for the rib was much smaller than the woman's body. Now from a smaller thing, a larger thing can be made only either by addition, and then the woman ought to have been described as made out of that which was added rather than out of the rib itself, or by rarefaction, because, as Augustine says, the literal meaning of Genesis 10, a body cannot increase in bulk except by rarefaction. But the woman's body is not more rarefied than man's, at least not in the proportion of a rib to Eve's body. Therefore Eve was not formed from a rib of Adam. Objection 2. Further, in those things which were first created there was nothing superfluous. Therefore a rib of Adam belonged to the integrity of his body. So if a rib was removed, his body remained imperfect, which is unreasonable to suppose. Objection 3. Further, a rib cannot be removed from man without pain, but there was no pain before sin. Therefore, it was not right for a rib to be taken from man, that Eve might be made from it. On the contrary, it is written, Genesis 2.22, God built the rib, which he took from Adam, into a woman. I answer that it was right for the woman to be made from a rib of man first to signify the social union of man and woman, for the woman should neither use authority over the man, and so she was not made from his head, nor was it right for her to be subject to man's contempt as his slave, and so she was not made from his feet. Secondly, for the sacramental signification, for from the side of Christ sleeping on the cross the sacraments flowed, namely blood and water, on which the church was established. Reply to Objection 1. Some say that the woman's body was formed by a material increase without anything being added, in the same way as our Lord multiplied the five loaves. But this is quite impossible, for such an increase of matter would either be by a change of the very substance of the matter itself, or by a change of its dimensions. Not by a change of the substance of the matter, both because matter, considered in itself, is quite unchangeable, since it has a potential existence, and has nothing but the nature of a subject, and because quantity and size are extraneous to the essence of the matter itself. 
wherefore multiplication of matter is quite unintelligible, as long as the matter itself remains the same without anything added to it, unless it receives greater dimensions. This implies rarefaction, which is for the same matter to receive greater dimensions, as the philosopher says, Physics 4. To say, therefore, that the same matter is enlarged without being rarefied, is to combine contradictories, namely the definition with the absence of the thing defined. Wherefore, as no rarefaction is apparent in such multiplication of matter, we must admit an addition of matter, either by creation, or, which is more probable, by conversion. Hence Augustine says, 24th Tractate on the Gospel of John, that Christ filled five thousand men with five loaves, in the same way as from a few seeds he produces the harvest of corn, that is, by transformation of the nourishment. Nevertheless, we say that the crowds were fed with five loaves, or that woman was made from the rib, because an addition was made to the already existing matter of the loaves and of the rib. Reply to Objection 2. The rib belonged to the integral perfection of Adam, not as an individual, but as the principle of the human race, just as the semen belongs to the perfection of the begetter, and is released by a natural and pleasurable operation. Much more, therefore, was it possible that by the divine power the body of the woman should be produced from the man's rib. From this it is clear how to answer the third objection. Fourth Article Section 1, Question 92, Article 4 Whether the woman was formed immediately by God Objection 1 It would seem that the woman was not formed immediately by God, for no individual is produced immediately by God from another individual alike in species. But the woman was made from a man who is of the same species, therefore she was not made immediately by God. Objection 2. Further, Augustine, on the Trinity, 3, 4, says that corporeal things are governed by God through the angels, but the woman's body was formed from corporeal matter, Therefore, it was made through the ministry of the angels, and not immediately by God. Objection 3. Further, those things which pre-exist in creatures as to their causal virtues are produced by the power of some creature, and not immediately by God. But the woman's body was produced in its causal virtues among the first created works, as Augustine says, the literal meaning of Genesis 9.15. Therefore, it was not produced immediately by God. On the contrary, Augustine says in the same work, God alone, to whom all nature owes its existence, could form or build up the woman from the man's rib. I answer that, as we said above, Article 2, Reply to Objection 2, the natural generation of every species is from some determinate matter, now the matter whence man is naturally begotten is the human semen of man or woman. Wherefore, from any other matter an individual of the human species cannot naturally be generated. Now God alone, the author of nature, can produce an effect into existence outside the ordinary course of nature. Therefore God alone could produce either a man from the slime of the earth or a woman from the rib of man. Reply to Objection 1. 
This argument is verified when an individual is begotten by natural generation from that which is like it in the same species. Reply to Objection 2. As Augustine says, the literal meaning of Genesis 9.15, we do not know whether the angels were employed by God in the formation of the woman, but it is certain that as the body of man was not formed by the angels from the slime of the earth, so neither was the body of the woman formed by them from the man's rib. Reply to Objection 3. As Augustine says, the literal meaning of Genesis 9.18, the first creation of things did not demand that woman should be made thus. It made it possible for her to be thus made. Therefore the body of the woman did indeed pre-exist in these causal virtues, in the things first created not as regards active potentiality, but as regards a potentiality passive in relation to the active potentiality of the Creator. End of question 92. Recording by Adam Taylor, catholiccomposer.com.